A leading Auckland apartment developer says going up, not out, is the key to affordable housing in the city. But says big investments are fueling the city's sprawl and curbing community creation. Ockham co-founder Mark Todd's been part of the apartment scene in Tamaki Makaurau, Auckland, since 2009. His company's completed more than 1,100 apartments at various sites in Auckland, including the blocks Totahi in Mount Elbert and Aruha in Avondale. The latest is the greenhouse building at the heart of Ponsonby, where something like 21 of the 93 apartments are still available. And at the recent opening of the high-end property, Mr Todd took a swipe at developers of sites in Drury, 38 kilometres south of central Auckland. He says urban sprawl contributes to Auckland being a city many can't afford to live in, particularly service workers who are the necessary backbone of the metropolis. This, as the new housing minister, gives a speech with plans to flood urban areas like Auckland with new housing. Mark Todd is with us this morning. Good morning. Good morning, Catherine. First, what's happening with sales at the moment? We know we are in what is as good as a recession. Are high interest rates slowing the rate not only of sales but of new developments, Mark? Oh, they indeed they are. Our sales have been very... We're entering our third year of a slow sales market. Um, there's a real arm wrestle going on. You know, most New Zealand families really struggle to afford housing and construction costs uh, remain elevated after, a, you know, we all know the inflation story the last three years and we have trouble delivering uh, houses that cost less too. So there's a bit of a disconnect, but that decoupling of housing costs and income has been going on now for 25 years. Um, as you know, if you look back to 1990, I think the average house price in New Zealand relative income was 3.2 and now it's 8 or 9 depending on which city you live in, sometimes 10 in which suburb. So it's, it's extreme and getting worse. But I would point out that although it's very bad in New Zealand, we're just, it's, it's a worldwide problem for modern Western economies to house service workers in particular. Just it's a macroeconomic failure. Just staying with the current situation at the moment, we saw the retirement village sector come out recently saying they're pausing some planned developments. Uh, slightly different reason. They've got people who can't or don't want to sell a home in the current market in order to buy a unit. Have you got any proposed developments that you're either pausing or slowing? Well, I think it's public knowledge. Six months ago or maybe eight months ago, we paused quite a large $200 million development in the heart of Greylin. Apartment developers always feel sales slumps Worse, it's you know house prices have been falling since about late 2021. I think the the good news is house prices have stopped falling, so that's the first thing that needs to happen before us to have any optimism. But when you're trying to sell apartments that might not be finished for two two or three years in large projects, well, of course, no one's keen to buy if the general view is house prices are falling. So, you know, we're always uh, feeling it worse. The catch cry "build up, not out" in Auckland is not new for transport efficiency, to utilise existing infrastructure, although that's got its own issues if you flood a city with with new people. But what's the trend that you're seeing that you're drawing attention to? Well, this has been an ongoing thing. You know, the super city was formed, you know, over a decade ago. The central idea that was consulted and then voted on and brought into Auckland was we wanted a quality compact city for the next 30 years. That was the vision. That's what we voted for. That was what's passed. Um, we've had some unhelpful policy dumped on Auckland, and I think the Mayor's been onto this the last six months or so. Medium density residential standards in particular, that haven't helped. 
Um, and unfortunately, the larger players involved in the housing sector tend to focus on land development rather than house building. And they've been fighting tooth and nail against policy that the citizens of Auckland asked for. So most of what I'm saying here applies to Auckland specifically, and then the, probably the, the city that struggles with similar issues is Wellington with its complex geography and limited land supply, and it's quite difficult to, you know, to create new ha- housing in Wellington. So, I, What's I, the frust- unhelpful policy dumped on you? Um, three houses anywhere without consideration. That policy was meant to flood the housing market with additional supply. What it's actually done in the context of Auckland has meant not a single house that's been consented in the medium density residential under the medium density residential rules has been delivered below the median house price in Auckland. That was a bipartisan policy. Indeed, and it was a failure of Wellington trying to centralise policy when we've already got good policy. To give to give a bouquet the national policy statement on urban development that is mandating basically the process that Auckland went through 10 years ago to allow height around major billion-dollar investments in public transport, that's, that was a good policy out of Wellington. So it's not all bad, but there's been some pernicious um, centralisation and, and it's, it's more of a culture of arrogance that, that we know best. Why is the three uh, stories basically anywhere without resource consent from memory? Why is that impacting what you're doing? Is it meaning people are not selling sites that um, uh, that could be with consents high rise? What's what's the impact on what you're doing of that policy? It undermines the central theme of, of Auckland and it undermines Auckland's autonomy and the citizens that live here to choose what their spatial planning and outcomes they want for over the next century in Auckland. It's basically said you can build three houses anywhere without a resource consent. Um, and three houses in an Auckland, any existing Auckland suburb are going to be terraced houses. And there's not a single terraced house in Auckland delivered in an existing suburban environment for less than $1.2 million. So basically it's a free ticket to, board ex- to, to build expensive housing. So it's, it's not even solving a problem. Whereas if I want to take the same 800 square metre section and build 12 two-bedroom units on it, I've got to dick around for 12, 12 months getting a resource consent. So, you so it's having... actually incentivised the wrong sort of housing because the people in Wellington didn't take the time to consult with knowledgeable people and planners in the industry. So are you coming up against a land availability issue because of this policy? No, I'm not. I have got a century's worth of high, you know, high-density zone land more than capable of sustaining the, the apartment sector's needs. What I'm railing against is the unnecessary forcing of cities the size of Napier in places like Drury and Walkworth and, and new subdivisions at Maraitai where we didn't ask for housing to be built. Okay. This, this is not... I would like to point out, I'm here as an advocate for Auckland, not as an advocate for my business or Auckland building apartments. I'm on record as donating to the Labour and Green parties, or probably the only property developer in the country that does. I, I am here because I am frustrated. I want some honest talk about policy and what will work in housing to make houses more affordable and our cities world-class in 2100.
What's happening then to drive big developments 38 kilometres from central Auckland? Is it as straightforward as being land is cheaper to buy? It's where the money is, Catherine. Follow the money, it's the same story through generations. The biggest players in the housing sector in New Zealand, they lack aspiration and vision for what Aotearoa will look like in 2100. So why and is it where the money is? Because you can build bigger Because rezoning land is where the uplift is. It's easy to make a lot of money with very few employees, you know, fighting a battle for five years or ten years. It should take ten years to rezone land that we didn't want rezoned in the Auckland plan. Like, I, I do not understand where the sympathy is coming from from these guys that are getting held up for years to rezone land that we never asked to be rezoned. So it's it's the, all the profits front loaded. So the housing sector as a whole is too focused on land development rather than getting better than at house building. So the person or the group that might rezone a hundred hectares at Drury will make more money delivering those thousand sections, say, to the group builders, group home builders. And the group home the, the group home builders make, and and it's multiples more, and and that's as a that, that's just it's not helping house prices. All the money is in developing and rezoning the land, not building the houses. The other issue also is who pays for infrastructure, whether it's services, and I know there tends to be an element of developer fee with that, does there not? But also, of course, transport, which tends to be more socialised. Well, yeah, it's the classic thing. All the all the profits are privatised, and the legacy infrastructure cost of building a new four lane road out to Maraitai, or new schools, hospitals, extending our wastewater network to to accommodate a city the size of Napier and Drury, are all borne by the by the ratepayer. You know, and just to broaden the story, this is not specific to Auckland, but Auckland is basically a state, um, the size of an Australian state. It doesn't have the the income stream or the taxation flows that a, a state in Australia has, but it's got responsibility for roading networks. And in Auckland, the Auckland City Council has three times more debt relative to its rating base than the average Australian council. The reason being that average Australian councils are not responsible for roading and so forth. And so we've we've been asked to do the impossible up here, and despite my record of what I am, the current mayor has pointed out... Um, a real failing in the way New Zealand's largest cities, the infrastructure is funded. No one wants to pay, and the city councils have no ability to raise the revenue streams required to provide the infrastructure our city needs. Now, there's a discussion starting with the new government around alternative ways of funding Auckland and Wellington's massive infrastructure deficits. Let's hope they, there's some realism about it. What are the policy failures specifically incentivising land and entire um, developments that far from the city? What, what's changed? You, you've gone back to the, to the um, I can't remember its name now, the much debated um, uh, housing plan for Auckland. Well, I think with, with Drury in particular, the, the national policy statement mandates certain things around mass transit lines and yes, Drury's on a train line. But I can assure you, Catherine, it's going to be three or four generations before the sector's fully developed Newmarket train station, the Kingston train station, the Mount Albert train station, the Morningside train station, the sixth 
train stations closest to the CBD will take 60 to 80 years to fully develop out with apartments. So again, it was people and planners and the development community in Auckland and the citizens of Auckland had a clear vision that took five years to pass, a quality compact city. We know how to do this. We don't need uh, sort of like basically catchphrase sloganistic political solutions that don't actually work. They're making problems worse. Auckland is already one of the largest cities in the world by square miles, and it's got an incredibly complex geography. We need to we need to focus where we we're building, and it, it's not hard to look at the largest cities in the world that are heading to three million people. You know, you know, we are heading to three million people over the next thirty years. What I'm trying to get Apartments clear is always at the centre of that. What I'm trying to get clear is you had the Auckland Unitary Plan. Sorry, I had mind bling for a moment, which you know was debated for years and years and years, right? What's happened to policy since that is enabling this Greenfields development? Is it not being implemented? Is it not being followed? Has it been amended? Um, I'm just trying to get clear on where the policy is failing. I don't think we had a coordinated approach. We've had an ad hoc policy approach. For example, we've got a fast track authority to consent major developments with the Environmental Protection Agency, which has been extremely good for cutting away red tape in some cases and extremely poor for allowing unwanted development and inappropriate development in other cases. And again, that was, you know, a response to a genuine issue around housing supply and affordability, and it's had mixed results. And that stands completely separately from, you know, the bipartisan medium-density residential standards, which, by the way, I found out in the media, that shows you how well they were consulted and talked about. I'm quite, I've been involved in policy for nearly 15 years. I hadn't even heard about this legislation before it was public. So I'm not sure who was making these decisions. So it's kind of like there's, there hasn't been joined up serious discussion, which is why I am actually agreed to do this interview, is to call out early on in this new term, this new government's term, that, hey, we can't just say we're going to flood the market with land and our problems will go away. I can assure you in three or six years' time, this approach will have not lowered the cost of housing and what it will have done, guaranteed, is is left legacy major costs for the ratepayers in Auckland to pick up. What the Minister said in a recent speech, Chris Bishop, I'm talking about here, is he wants to flood urban areas, Right. Auckland and, and possibly other cities as well. In fact, there may have been a reference along the lines you're talking about of a um, of, of a doubling of its um, population in time. Now, if that is going to happen, what are the policies that would ensure it was metro focused, right? So, in the existing city. Uh, where you are looking at developing, literally building up, not out. What would be the policies? I think we need to change. The, the, the current spatial outcomes in our city are not coherent because they are driven by private sector interests. And unfortunately, Wellington has overridden the unitary plan and Auckland plan's uh, rules 
its objectives and policies and its central vision, which is a quality compact city. That's how you get five million people living together. I'm not anti-growth at all. I'm just being honest about what a city looks like that's got three to five million people. That's the plan that we envisaged, a quality compact city. High density living in high amenity areas that improve people's lives by stripping tens of hours a week of car travel from their lives, um, making sure they, you know, are near retail and hospitality opportunities, cultural opportunities, art galleries, museums, you know, beachfronts on the CBD, you know, our inner city beaches. All these places are, are being ignored. This is how backward we've, by having land developers lead spatial expansion of the city, I'd put it to you, we have like 200 miles of beachfront in Auckland. We've got no apartments really in Point Chevalier, for example. Takapuna's got a handful. It should have hundreds. You know, the Eastern Bay should have thousands of apartment blocks. Devonport should have apartment blocks. We should, as Aucklanders, be able to live by the sea. Why would we want to live in Drury? I bet you Drury didn't even ask for a city the size of Napier, you know, to be inserted here, the people that live in Drury. Why would we want to live in Kumiu or Riverhead away from the sea? Why would we want to live in Inland Walkwith? It's, these things are, are, are not hard. It's, this is just human nature. I, I would actually like our Auckland Council to control its spatial zoning, which we had. And it has been that ability to control where we want to put housing in a coherent manner is being undermined by a an ad hoc suite of legislation coming out of what, Wellington. What is that legislation again? We know the um, low-rise, medium-density rules were one, but what else is happening that is overriding that ability to Well, manage? as I say, there's a fast-track authority right. that consents large-scale development, which has had mixed outcomes. And so I, I do think there's many aspects. God knows I'm frustrated when it takes five years to do the right thing and get a consent. Like the, the city council consenting team in many aspects does need to kick up the arse, and that was a response to that. Um, the national policy statement on urban development, the general idea is good. We should be investing um, billions of dollars in infrastructure around our mass transit routes. For example, we've spent $4.5 billion on a CRL. But the Drury train station doesn't make the top 20 list, but yet it sneaks in through the back door. You know, the mistake there is not to prioritise the high net, the the, the transport nodes and start with the most important risk? ones and move out, which is what a spatial plan would naturally do. Do you think the risk is that a, a government will be tempted to throw the kitchen sink at this and say greenfields and infill rather than realising one impacts the other? Well, I, I do think we need a mix of both. I'm not a zealot about it. But just from, again, from a financial point of view, the average price of a new house in Auckland over the last 12 months for a brand new, so this is a home, whether it be an apartment, a terraced house, a new standalone home on a greenfield subdivision, is something like $1.15 million. That's the average price of a new house, including all the apartments which I think are about a third of the supply in Auckland currently, which many, like, I've finished 400 apartments last year on 
relatively affordable projects, prices between 550 and kind of 900. So I've delivered 400 units with an average price of say 750, which all add to that average house price of, of a new house is 1.1 million. So I'm actually lowering without those 400 apartments, the average price of a, a new house in Auckland might have been 1.2 million. So it's apartments. It's the apartment sector that lowers the average price of a new house. Not allowing you don't get houses for seven hundred thousand dollars in a greenfield development in Auckland, or eight hundred, or nine hundred, or even a million. You're pointing to the barriers, Mark, because there's also bank attitudes towards apartment developments. As soon as you get headwinds, and Lordy knows we're in them at the moment. There's the uh, RMA, as you said, they've got to be well built. We've just watched a fascinating documentary pointing out the pain. Uh, when they're not well built, um, but you've, you're pointing out that it's almost um, it, it's not a level playing field, uh, pardon the pun, but between the sectors, between the developers. What what would it take to change this? Other than you, you know you can talk about it, you can try and get in the ear of the minister, but does it need a more coordinated response right now? Well, I think two things. This, the Auckland City Council needs to it needs its autonomy back so that we can actually breathe life and control the central vision of the Auckland plan, which is a quality compact city. So we need our autonomy back. And at the other end of the spectrum, it just requires the public to understand and sort of discuss with major housing players to have more aspiration. Like, it's not good enough to carry on a colonial kind of exploitative approach that is revolved around land development. Like, we want our major land, our, la- our major players in the housing sector to have a more aspirational and realistic view of what our cities are going to look like in 2100. And it's not 1950s LA. We've got enough problems with car travel and disconnectedness in Auckland already without exacerbating with with cities, you know, of tens of thousands of people, satellite cities in Tahana and and Wellsford and Riverhead and Drury and Pairata. This is not what we asked for. Thank you, Mark. We are... um Intending to speak with Chris Bishop on a number of matters, RMA reform and obviously his housing portfolio uh, this month. So thank you for uh, opening one aspect of the conversation. Mark Todd, who is uh, a developer, uh, apartment developer, co-founder of Ockham.